Want to learn how to leverage your marketing to get clients on repeat? Charge a fee that leaves you with money in your pocket even after you've finished paying your bills? And finally, stop working with the clients that you've long outgrown? Liberated Business is a transformational program that combines group and one-on-one work so you get the best results possible. This differs from every other program out there because it helps you make money while supporting your joy and liberation throughout your entrepreneurial journey. Liberated Business starts this June and runs through November, and enrollment is open now. Visit thebadtherapist.coach liberatedbusiness to get all of the details and sign up. DM me on Instagram at thebadtherapist with any questions or to learn more. I cannot wait to get started with you. One of my big fears and something that I've heard from other therapists and the kind of mindset that can really bog this process down is like this intense fear that we're going to like get it wrong or choose something wrong or mess something up. And then like the powers that be are going to come at us and be like, you don't get to be a therapist anymore. You like chose the wrong business entity. And it's like, that's not going to happen. Like, you're going to be fine. Things would have to go like wrong, kind of like over and over and over again for something like that to happen. Hey there, and welcome to The Bad Therapist Show, the podcast for current and aspiring private practice therapists who want to earn more money, work less, and have a way bigger impact. I'm your host, Felicia, the bad therapist, former goody-goody therapist turned six-figure private practice owner and therapist business coach. I'm here to help you learn everything you need to know about private practice and expanding beyond the one-to-one model so you can earn more money and increase your impact as a therapist without burning out or hustling. Using my proven liberated business method, therapists at all stages of business have been able to grow their income while becoming even better therapists. And I'm on a mission to help you do the same. It's time for you to get your time back and enjoy being a therapist again. You ready? Let's get started. Hello, and welcome to The Bad Therapist Show. I'm your host, Felicia, The Bad Therapist. We're at the start of 2024, and I know a lot of my listeners, if they don't already have private practices, are really thinking that this is the year that it's going to happen. So this episode is for those therapists who are still working in agencies or group practices and really want to launch their own private practices this year but just don't know where to start. The good news is it's actually not as complicated as it seems. In fact, a lot of the really nitty-gritty stuff can even happen in just one day. So I'm going to cover the absolute non-negotiables of launching your private practice and the things that you can build over time. Think of this episode as your quick start guide to starting a private practice. Now, before we get into that, I want to take a moment to tell you about one-on-one private coaching. Each year, I work with a small number of private practice therapists to help them master their marketing, to find a niche that lights them up, and craft fees and policies that ensure that they're working hustle-free and earning more money per session. We work together through all of the challenges that are unique to therapists, like battling pressure to put everyone else first, fears of saying or doing the wrong thing on the internet and losing your license, or just thinking of your private practice as a business at all. Go to thebadtherapist.coach slash private dash coaching to learn more and join the interest list. Now let's dive into today's episode. 
So like I said earlier, there's actually a lot you can do to start your private practice that can all happen in a day and honestly in a matter of hours. I remember when my sort of like big brother uh, in the therapy field told me this and I was like, no way. But it's actually true. It's not that hard. And so I'm hoping that in breaking this down for you a little bit today, it's going to feel a little bit more accessible, a little bit easier, a little less complicated. And as you're listening, I really don't want you to like worry that you're not catching things. I do have a blog about this on my website that's pretty thorough. And I'm, in fact, not going to mention every single little thing because that would make this episode very tedious and probably not that helpful. But if you do want a pretty comprehensive list, you can go to my website and we will have that blog linked in the show notes. So let's get started. There are a few kind of like nitty gritty technical things that don't really have much to do with like seeing your clients and have to do with just starting a business. And this is pretty consistent across starting any business. So, I mean, if you have experience with past businesses, then this whole set of items is going to be pretty familiar to you. Now, as you're setting up your business, you're going to be like paying different fees uh, to set it up. Now, before you have a business, you're obviously not going to have a business bank account. Uh, You're certainly not going to have like a business bank account that's associated with your like tax ID number for your business. So there are kind of two ways to go about this like really early stage of starting your business when you're spending money, but like the business isn't like quite started yet. You can just open a bank account that you're only going to use for your business. And if you are starting a sole proprietorship, like this is probably what you're going to do anyway. Otherwise, you can just pay for these things out of pocket, out of your own personal money, and just keep track of those expenses. And you'll later on like put that into your accounting software and like mark that as money that you spent and probably reimburse yourself at some point. Or if you're going the route of a sole proprietorship, that'll all uh, work out in the wash when you're doing your taxes. But that leads me to my next point, which is deciding what kind of business entity that you're going to set up. Now, this is primarily something that has to do with how you're going to be taxed. Um, There are different advantages to being taxed as a corporation and particularly an S-corp, but that's typically not something the starting private practice owner is going to do. That really only becomes advantageous once you're earning a significant amount of money, and that exact number Um, also has to do with your business expenses. So again, if you're just starting out and you don't have tons of expenses and you're not bringing in tons of money, then you're probably going to go with a sole proprietorship. There are also some rules and regulations around what type of business entities you can create as a person with the license that you have and in the state that you have. So always check to see, you know, what kind of business entity can I create with this license type in this state? For instance... As a licensed marriage and family therapist in California, I can create a corporation uh, and I can have a professional corporation and be taxed as an S-corp, but I couldn't create an LLC. And so just check with that. The information should be pretty easy to find. You can always check with your uh, small business association. Your city hall may have an office of small business. So There are usually local places that you can go to that will really help you with this. I Despite the fact that I'm saying you can do a lot of this stuff online, I honestly just prefer to go to City Hall and like do everything manually. That just gives me peace of mind. But I'm kind of a Luddite in that way. And uh, you actually can just do most of this stuff online. So anyway, you need to think about what type of business entity you're going to form. And again, most therapists, when they're just starting out, are probably going to go with a sole proprietorship. 
So when it comes to having a bank account for your business, it's okay to just go to the bank and open a new account and just make sure that any money that's coming into or out of the business is going through that account and you are keeping that very, very separate from your personal money. Um, At the beginning of this, you might actually deposit some money into that account, uh, some of your own personal money that would be called uh, an owner's contribution. Because again, at the very early stages of starting your business, obviously you're not accepting revenue from clients, right? You're starting the business so that you can begin to receive money into the business. So on day one of the business, there's no money in it, right? There's money going out because you're having to pay to register your business and your liability insurance and stuff like that, but there's no revenue to start. So one way to address that is to make an initial owner's contribution to that bank account, and then you can use the money that is in that account to pay for all your startup costs. So this is like a very normal thing for businesses to do. This is essentially your working capital before you begin to receive you know, funds from actual paying clients into the business. Now, if the business is going to be earning a lot of money right out of the gate, and it does make sense for you to form an S-corp like right out, I would really talk to an accountant about that first and make sure that your business is in a place financially where um, that would be advantageous. So for instance, if you're going from like a group practice or an agency where you can actually take all your clients with you and you've run the math and you can see like, wow, I'm actually going to be bringing in over 100k like from the very beginning like that's going to be the revenue that my business is generating then you might have a conversation with an accountant to see like should I go ahead and already uh, start out as a corporation and if that's the case then you probably are going to have an official business bank account that's like associated with the tax ID of your corporation but again that's not going to be most therapists and you really should have a conversation with an accountant about that before you make that decision. Um, So just know that if you are the average therapist who is starting a private practice, you're probably going to create a sole prop, in which case you can just have a regular bank account, but you're going to really keep the money separate. You're going to keep your business revenue totally separate from your personal funds. Okay, so the other thing you're going to need to do is you need to register your business locally and you may need to file a DBA. And so a DBA Um, or a fictitious business name, those mean the same things. DBA stands for doing business as, fictitious business name is what it sounds like. Therapists have specific guidelines for what we can name our businesses. And again, this is related to our license type and the state in which we are licensed. And so you should just look this up uh, and see like what are the requirements for the name of your business. So for instance, as a marriage and family therapist in California, I have to use my name and I have to use one of a set of three words. It's like I have to, it has to be like child, family, or marriage. I cannot use like individual. And then I also have to use counseling, counselor, therapy, or therapist. That is pretty boring. And most of us don't want to name our businesses that. Uh, We want like fun things like integrative somatic therapy, California, or like something like that. And it's okay. We can have that. It just means that we have to file a fictitious business name and that's totally fine to do. So when we're registering our businesses, we are having to follow these very strict guidelines and then we have to file a fictitious business name or uh, DBA. And again, that's very easy to do. You can do it online. And when you go to file it, It will need to be published in a newspaper several weeks in a row. This is an old-timey thing. I'm not going to go into why that's a thing. 
but you can usually pay the newspaper that you file it with a little bit extra to make sure that they follow back up with the office and confirm that it has been published multiple times in the newspaper uh, because that's like part of getting the DBA. And then you need to renew it every several years. I think it's about five years. So just like set a reminder on your calendar if you want to keep that name like that it's time to renew it. So again, very simple, very straightforward. It actually doesn't cost that much money. Um, and probably most therapists are wanting to have a DBA. Uh, so just be on the lookout for that. Next, you're going to want to get an EIN. And this is basically a tax ID number for your business. That way, if you are going to file your taxes um, or you need to like put a tax ID number on something, you don't have to put your personal social security number. Um, and this is especially relevant if you have a sole prop because you could uh, for your sole prop, just use your social security number. But most of us don't want to do that. Uh, so so it's helpful to get an EIN. It's totally free. It literally takes minutes. It's just a government website. You should never, ever, ever be charged for getting an EIN. So if you, for whatever reason, saw some service that was like offering to do that, don't pay for that. Just it'll take you a few minutes. You also need, uh, potentially need an NPI. And if you've worked in community mental health, you may actually already have one because this is a number that has to do with billing insurance and being able to identify you specifically as a healthcare provider. So I got my NPI back when I was 22 working in a methadone clinic, and that's my NPI forever. Like that is what is related to me as a healthcare worker. And so if I'm ever billing insurance, which I don't because I have not taken insurance, but if I am giving a client a super bill to submit to insurance, or if you are going to take insurance, you are going to want to have an NPI. So go check to see if you already have one. You very well could. And if you don't, similarly to an EIN, you just register for one. It takes a few minutes. It's not that hard. It's totally free. So you're going to want to do that. Um, Again, even if you're not going to take insurance, if your clients want to use their insurance for reimbursement, you're probably going to need this number. So just go get one of those very quick, very easy. And then next, you're going to need liability insurance. Obviously, we know this. And you probably have already had some, depending on your past. Like if you've worked in a group practice, you probably have had to get liability insurance like most of us have. If you are a part of a professional association like CAMFT, um, that's the California Marriage and Family Therapist Association, like I am, uh, there is a special like rate that CAMFT members get. And so you might check to see if your professional organization um, has some discounts on that. So, of course, that's a requirement. We absolutely must be carrying liability and malpractice insurance. So make sure that yours is current and up to date. All right. So these are like the nitty gritty like things that you have to do. Most of them have to do with starting a business in general. Some of them are more specific to us as therapists. But these are all things that you can do online within a day, if not a few hours. Like, I mean, if you're anything like me, you might get like a little flustered and it could take longer, but I want to reassure you that these are all very, very straightforward. And also you're not going to like probably get in trouble. I think one of my big fears and something that I've heard from other therapists and the kind of mindset that can really bog this process down is like this intense fear that we're going to like get it wrong or choose something wrong or mess something up. And then like the powers that be are going to come at us and be like, you don't get to be a therapist anymore. <laughs> you like chose the wrong business entity. And it's like, that's not going to happen. Like you're going to be fine. 
um, things would have to go like wrong over kind of like over and over and over again for something like that to happen. So I'm saying this to you because like I have said these things out loud to like my various support people. I'm pretty sure I've had conversations with my accountant where I'm like terrified of like miscategorizing an expense and like what's going to happen. And he's like, worst case scenario, they'll be like, oh, you have to pay taxes on that. Like that's pretty much it. Like obviously, again, there is such a thing as like people getting in trouble, but like you generally would need to be like trying to like break laws at that point. Like you're probably not going to accidentally break enough laws that people are going to come after you. So anyway, um, I'm laughing so much because I'm like, oh God, I've so been there. But anyway, that is what you need to do to get your business like set up more or less. The next set of tasks that you need to focus on is really oriented towards being ready to welcome clients into your practice, to receive them into your practice, to be able to meet with them, to be able to receive payment from them. It's getting all of those things in place. And so you're going to need to have your practice paperwork, you know, all of your informed consent, good faith estimate form, telehealth consent form, release of information, uh, consent to treat a minor form if you're going to work with minors, no secrets policy if you're going to work with couples or families, etc. And so these are either going to be things that you create on your own. You're probably going to do some research, you're probably going to look at some templates. But if you are, again, a part of a professional association, if you are choosing to get an online EHR, like Simple Practice or one of those other note-keeping things, um, you're probably already going to have some ready-made documentation for you. And so if you're just really looking for like, I need a quick start, then obviously you can use those and make some adjustments. And like I just mentioned, you are going to need a note-keeping system. So like old school was like file cabinets, right? Like that's how our supervisors and our professors and like the people who came before us kept their notes. Most of us are keeping our notes online right now. And there are tons and tons of EHRs out there that you can choose from. I personally chose to use Google um, and I made sure to sign a BAA with them. And so a word about why I did that. So at the time, I didn't really need all the bells and whistles that made EHRs like really cool. Like I wasn't taking insurance. I wasn't allowing clients to book their own appointments. I wasn't even taking credit card payments. And so I like didn't need all of the fancy things that EHRs were offering. I just literally needed a place to like keep my notes securely. And so for me, Google was like a really good option because it's a lot, lot cheaper and sure, it takes more time to set up. Like, obviously, Google is kind of like a blank slate. It's not like set up for private practice therapists. So if you don't have the interest in like creating your own templates and like coming up with workflow systems, then like it's not going to be fun for you. But if you don't want to spend more money on an EHR and you're not going to use all those bells and whistles, um, then it could be a good option for you. And the thing that you would want to do is sign a BAA. So that's a business associate agreement. And this is a uh, legally binding document that basically ensures that the software that you're using is going to be HIPAA compliant. And of course, there are things on your end that you would need to make sure you're doing to maintain that HIPAA compliance. But it's basically like the company is saying that we're we're basically confirming that this software is going to be HIPAA compliant. Now, not all therapists are required to be HIPAA compliant. Like we are not all covered entities and I'm not going to like go into what that is. That being said, even if you are not a HIPAA-covered entity, we generally, as a field, try to maintain HIPAA compliance just because it's the gold standard for patient privacy and security. So 
I would recommend that you are trying to ensure that all of your things are going to be HIPAA compliant, but uh, you may not actually be a HIPAA covered entity depending on uh, whether or not you've billed insurance via the internet before. Anyway, I'm not going to go into all of that. There is some information on how to understand if you are a HIPAA covered entity or not in that blog post that I mentioned, which is linked in the show notes. As I already mentioned, you're going to need to have a way to accept payment from clients. You're also going to need to have a way to meet with clients. And let's just stay in the virtual world for a moment, uh, just because that's a little bit more straightforward. So again, if you're going to go with one of these EAHRs, it probably has a way for you to accept payments directly through that platform from clients and probably also has a way for you to meet with clients virtually uh, through that platform. And so your EHR uh, may have all of these solutions right there. Or again, if you are not going to go with an EHR and you are going to use something like Google or you are going to create like an encrypted uh, folder on your computer and make sure it's password protected multiple times, like if you're going to do that for your notes and then everything else is going to be sort of piecemealed together, then you're going to have to piecemeal it together. But if you're going to go with an EHR, probably a lot of these things are already included and so you're good. So you're either going to be meeting with clients virtually, and I think a lot of therapists now are deciding to be virtual-only practices, but there are also a lot of us who crave that in-person experience with our clients, and there's a certain segment of clients out there who really want that too. And so that's really a personal choice. I think it's totally possible to have a thriving full psychotherapy practice working only virtually, and so If you are finding that you want to only work virtually, but you have this narrative that the only way to be successful is to have an office and do in-person therapy, I just really don't think that is true. However, if you have a deep desire to do in-person therapy, then by all means, go get yourself an office. Um, That can be a great move. I really, really loved having my psychotherapy office. I do miss it from time to time. And it was just such a moment for me uh, to to finally get my office that was just really beautiful. It made me feel like a grown-up. It made me feel like I was legit. And it was just really nice to have. But that was also in a world before COVID and before uh, it was really considered normal for therapists to have virtual-only practices. And so things have changed. And you may find that you actually quite like Uh, getting to do work virtually, and you like not having the overhead of an additional office. Uh, So that's just a very personal decision for you to make, and I would really encourage you that you can be successful either way. Okay, so now we are truly at the stage where we have covered all the sort of like non-negotiables, nitty-gritty. We've gone over a lot of the legal stuff, the financial stuff, the ethical like guidelines stuff, that is all handled. The other main thing beyond this is your practices and policies. And so again, you may just start out using some templates, but I would really want you to take some time to think about your policies and practices and your fee. Because oftentimes uh, when it comes to standard issue policies and practices, there is very little in there about uh, regular fee increases There is very little about cancellation policies. It's like, you need to let me know 24 hours ahead of time, and then you can cancel. Uh, So this is the standard issue policies and practices that you see in most informed consent. And the reality is, is that they don't work for most therapists. So something like a 24, 48, or even 72-hour cancellation policy doesn't work for most therapists because when clients 
cancel, there is typically no way for you to make up that lost revenue. Like it's just gone. So if you're going into a month with X number of clients, you have X number of sessions planned, but then several people cancel, that could be a loss of hundreds, if not thousands of dollars, totally unexpectedly that month. And so the standard policies and practices that most of us come out of the gate with just don't help us set up a sustainable practice. They put us in a position where our revenue is all over the place, which causes us stress, makes it hard for us to continue to do with the work we're doing, and it has a serious impact on our own personal ability to fund our lives. And so that puts us in a really, really tight pinch. In fact, this just came up in my Facebook community, Healing Money, where someone was reflecting on how much money they had lost because they had an unlimited cancellation policy And they decided to change that. It's having a really big impact in their business. But they had to kind of live the life of having an unlimited cancellation policy first, like so many of us did, like I did, to see the impact of that. And so when I say unlimited cancellation policy, I mean that is a policy in which a client can cancel any number of times per year and they just get to not pay the fee as long as they cancel within a certain time frame. What I really recommend is a limited cancellation policy, meaning that clients can cancel potentially at some amount of times during the year. But if they cancel more than that, they're still responsible for the fee. So in my practice, I chose four. I said clients can cancel up to four times per year without paying the fee. And anything beyond that, regardless of how much time in advance they give me, they're responsible for the fee. And this is because I can't just like drop in another client that week because they're gone, because I don't It's not like I've got people waiting in the wings and I'm like, yeah, sure, come in for one week. Oh, my regular client's back. You got to go. Like it just, our business models don't work that way. And that's the reality of this. And it's weird that for so long, we haven't really been talking about this and we've just been like, cool, give me 24 hours. That's fine. Like, y'all, that doesn't make sense. Like the math doesn't work out. It makes it really, really hard for us to calculate our fees or know how many clients we need to have on our caseload. If we can't really predict if a particular client is going to be paying for that session or not. So anyway, that's like a whole a whole ass thing. Uh, <laughs> I will point you at an episode that will be helpful for you if you want to dig into that more deeply. And that is episode 19. So spend some time not just reflecting and doing math around your fee and your cancellation policy and number of clients and how that impacts your revenue. But also think about your broader preferences. Again, I think a lot of us therapists tend to go in with this attitude that like we're not really allowed to have preferences. We should be very client-centered. We're there to help people. And therefore, we work when people want to come in to see us for therapy. We are just kind of available for whatever they need. But again, this is not sustainable. You do have preferences, and that's not a bad thing. And When we aren't honest with ourselves and we're essentially not honest with our clients about those preferences, it will bite us in the ass eventually. And this could look like a lot of different things. It could look like burnout. It could look like irritability. You may not even realize that the thing that's really bothering you is that like your practice is not working for you. You could be like expressing that in other areas of your life, never even considering that maybe the problem is that you're working in your practice in a way that like just does not make sense for you, your rhythm, your stage of life, whatever it may be. 
So really give some thought to what you want, not just your practice to look like, but your whole life to look like. And do these two things match up? Because if they don't, there's going to be a lot of friction there. And eventually it will come to a head. So be super, super thoughtful about that. This is this is stuff that is obviously going to unfold and shift over time. Your needs and desires are going to continue to change and evolve. And that's that's a good thing. And so you're going to need to reevaluate this from time to time. At the beginning, do slow down, take a beat, think about what you really want. Think about the policies and practices that would be super, super supportive of you and personally, and also how you want to show up for your clients. Now we've got your private practice set up. We've got all of the financial items, the technical items, the welcoming the client in items. Those are all done. But how do you get those clients to actually call you, right? Like this is where this is where the marketing comes in. This is where your sales process comes in. So that is a massive topic. And this is another one of those things that is going to be changing and growing over time. Like this does not, in terms of just like having a business, on day one, this doesn't have to be in place. This can be something that you grow over time. Like if you're if your goal is like, I need to start a private practice like this month, then like all the things I'm about to list are things that you're gonna get to work on over time. You don't necessarily have to do this first, though some therapists may decide that before actually launching their business, they're gonna spend a bunch of time on their marketing to like drum up that interest. But probably most of us aren't. Whatever, that's okay. So this next stage of things that you're going to focus on is your marketing. And I've spent a lot of time on the podcast already, like really diving deeply into all of these topics. So I'm not going to cram them into this episode. I'm just going to point you out some other episodes that you should check out. So episodes four through seven are all about niching and marketing from a lot of different angles, from like your attitude around marketing all the way to how to actually pick a specific strategy that's going to work for you. And then episodes 29, 30, and 38 are all about websites. And I really think of websites these days as the equivalent of a business card at its most basic. It's like you kind of just like need one of these to appear legit in the general public as a therapist. And so that doesn't mean it has to be like over the top, tons and tons of money. But it is if a client's choosing between a therapist who has a website and one who doesn't, they're just probably going to go with a therapist who has a website. I mean, it's just kind of like how we use the internet today. That's all I'm going to say on that for now. Like I said, go check out all those episodes if you want to do a deep dive into marketing. They are super, super juicy. Thank you so much for tuning in today. I hope this episode has made starting your own practice feel way more approachable. And as we start 2024, I'm wishing you the best year yet. I would love to hear your thoughts on the podcast, so please leave a review and a five-star rating if you found this helpful. And if you have questions for me about your own private practice, please use the link in the show notes to submit your own questions to the podcast and you just might get them answered. I'll see you next week. That's all today for The Bad Therapist Show. Thanks so much for hanging with me. I hope you got some gems that you can start using right away in your own business so that you can break out of good therapist conditioning and build the business that you want. If you've gotten something out of this episode, don't keep it to yourself. Share it with one of your good therapist friends who really needs to hear it. And while you're at it, please consider leaving a rating and or review so that we can change not just our individual businesses, but transform the mental health system that got us here in the first place. Thank you so much. I'll see you next week for more private practice and coaching tips. Remember, bad therapists make the best therapists.